0: Gary is a multiple award-winning author, speaker, and grief specialist. He's a compassionate and trusted voice in grief recovery who has been bringing comfort, hope, encouragement, and healing to hurting wounded hearts for more than 30 years. Gary is the author of more than a dozen books, including the award-winning bestsellers Shattered, Surviving the Loss of a Child, Comfort for Grieving Hearts, Heartbroken, Healing from the Loss of a Spouse, and Teen Grief, Caring for the Grieving Teenage Heart. Gary has been featured on Dr. Laura, Wellness.com, BeliefNet, CBN, The Daily Positive, Thrive Global, and other major media and has well over 700 grief-related articles in print. He's a popular keynote, conference, and seminar speaker at a wide variety of venues. A former college minister, missionary in Japan, entrepreneur in Hawaii, and pastor in Texas and Washington, Gary has served as a writer, speaker, chaplain, and grief counselor with Hospice Brazos Valley in Central Texas. Gary loves being a husband and father. He has seven adopted children, including three daughters from Columbia. He enjoys hockey, corny jokes, good puns, and colorful Hawaiian shirts. Gary and his wife Jen and family live in Texas.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to As I Live and Grieve. Today, our guest is Gary Rowe. Gary's been with us before and we just love it when he comes back. Today, this is a particularly interesting topic and it coincides with the release of his new book, The Grief Guidebook. Common Questions, Compassionate Answers, Practical Suggestions. So Gary, I'm just gonna turn it over to you. Maybe you can give us a little snippet about your background, again, for those who may not have heard you before, and then just why this book and how is it set up? Anything you want us to know?
2: All right. Thank you, Kathy. You're well, that's a, that's a wide open door. It's really wide for me to walk through. <laughs> there are
1: there are <laughs> few people I would offer that to.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to do my best. I won't use any puns or bad jokes or any anything. <laughs> well, people ask me all the time, In fact, I I recently moved about a month ago. And you know, when people meet you for the first time, you know what they're going to ask.
1: Yeah, what do you do? What do you do?
2: (laughs) And the first, I hadn't really thought through that, you know, this time. And after the first couple of days, I backed up and I thought through it. And so now my answer is, you know, my job is not really a job. It's a calling. And it's the most amazing calling that I get to, enter people's lives at some of the most vulnerable times in their life and walk with them through the grief of the loss of a loved one. Now that gets varied reactions when I, when I do that. I'm but sure. automatically, uh, if they don't know me at all, the next question is, how did you get into that, right? How, how did that happen? And so just putting this as briefly as I can, I, I really came from a background of loss. It began with with sexual abuse in early childhood, a loss of a sense of innocence, a loss of a sense of a lot of things, actually, a loss of a sense of family or at least functional family. Mm -hmm. Both my grandfathers died before I ever really knew who they were. One grandmother never knew who I was because of dementia. Uh, We lost a number of other family members before before I got to the age of 10. Uh, My parents' marriage was not good. It was very volatile. And, uh, soon after uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I lost a best friend at the age of 12 to spinal meningitis. And that's the first time I ever remember really asking the question, why, you know, what, why, why, why him, why now, why this? Right. Soon after that, my parents separated and divorced. That was another loss coming right after that was the loss of my childhood home because I went with my mom by default and she sold that house. And then my mom hit. She had really been drifting into mental illness for a number of years, but none of us knew that. So uh, she had a mental breakdown. I bounced over and lived with my dad for a while. Uh, My dad, he was great, lived with him for about six months. He had a heart attack and died in front of me when I was 15, went back over to live with mom. She wasn't any better than before made a suicide attempt. And I wound up not in official foster care, but um, another family. I was a competitive swimmer. And another swimming family just took me in the last three years of high school, and they had four kids, and it was just a wonderful experience for me. But my first 15 years kind of set the tone. I I realized right away that life was going to be very, very, very hard. I was under no illusions that this was going to be smooth and that I was not going to get hit again. So I began to say, what can I do to heal from what's happened? And what can I also do to prepare myself for what's ahead? So that I not only handle this stuff, but somehow am able to turn it around and use it for good for someone else. Now, I don't know where that thought came from. Now, it's easy for me to say, I think that thought came from God, because that thought does not come from a 15-year-old boy. Anyway, (laughs) I wish I could say my losses stopped there, but they did not. Um, Many, many losses since, some of them so heavy as to be debilitating, uh, right up to the fact that my older brother, my, my only sibling, died two weeks ago. So right up to the present moment, uh, my life has been really a journey of grief. It is. It's kind of one grief wilderness after another with patches of green pasture in between. Right. Maybe. right. And most of my adult life has been spent helping hurting people heal and grow. Uh, I was a college minister for a while, a missionary in Japan, a pastor for 20 plus years was in hospice for a dozen years. And, and now I just, uh, for lack of a better term, I, I run my own grief ministry, which involves grief coaching, it involves writing books. That's the big biggest part of it. Right. And the second part would be speaking and then grief coaching on a limited basis. So that's kind of my heartbeat because the world is not kind to grieving hearts. And almost every issue we face in life is... The result of a loss of some kind, even if, even if it's not the death, the physical death right. Right. Of, of a loved one. And so I have this weird, simplistic idea that if we could learn to grieve a little better, whatever loss there is, if we could learn to do that in a way that's loving toward ourselves and loving toward other people, mm-hmm. wow, things could really be different for us but potentially really different for the people we're around around too, as we kind of live that out before them. So having said all that, this new book, The Grief Guidebook, most of my books are kind of written as conversations between someone who is grieving and myself, along with some affirmations and maybe some suggestions, uh, practical suggestions, and this book is kind of laid out in that format. But the difference is, I woke up one day and realized I wonder how many questions over the last 35 plus years I have been asked about the grief process. And so I just started writing questions, you know, kind of writing every question that I could remember. Of course, you can't remember them all. But anyway, it, it, this legal pad, three, four or five pages. And then I noticed hmm, a lot of these questions are similar, you know, they can kind of, They're not the same question, but you can kind of group them together. So I began grouping some together, and then I thought, hmm, what if I wrote a kind of guidebook for the grief process that covered the major common questions that I have heard from almost every grieving person, you know, in some shape, form, or fashion? So. I know it's a random number, but it got whittled down to 71 questions. <laughs> so, so there's 71 questions that I deal with in the book. And then to kind of help people further, I break those down into categories of this question is mainly about emotions. This question is mainly about the physical aspects of grief, physical symptoms that we're having. Right. Uh, these, these are mainly about the mental aspects or the spiritual aspects or our relationships and how wonky those can go while we're in the grieving process. Or the question is about the future mm-hmm. somehow. So I arrange the questions like that. And each chapter begins with a question and begins with the grieving heart kind of expounding on that question right. a little bit. And then me having a conversation with the grieving heart, talking back to them about that question. And then the chapter ends with an affirmation about that issue. And also it's just some practical suggestions for how to handle that issue. And the different, I guess, this book being different from my others in the sense that most books you read from beginning to end mm-hmm. right you start at the beginning and you just go all the way through mm-hmm. uh, the grief guidebook certainly can be read that way and it's very comprehensive i think that's that's one word that reviewers are using is comprehensive you know it mm-hmm. covers a lot of stuff yes. and so you know if someone is a counselor or a social worker or a grief group facilitator and they know their own grief but they want a broader comprehensive view of grief, this would be a great book for them, plus they can just, then they know how to deal with questions that are right. coming out, the, or at least how I dealt with the question. Mm-hmm. And for the reader, it, it's designed so that if they wanted to, they could go to whatever question they feel like they're dealing most with that day. Or maybe they go out and have coffee with somebody and they find, their, find four questions in the book that they dealt with during <laughs> that one conversation. Right. So it's designed to be intensely practical um, it's also designed to as much as possible meet people where they are in their grief and and as I say, kind of normalize that grief because we all feel weird. We wonder if anybody else has ever felt this. Has anybody else ever thought this? You know, I feel so alone here, and there's part of us there's a part of our hearts that really wants to grieve and grieve well, and that part can lead us to wanting to be alone, actually, you know, to kind of rest in that a little bit. And that's just fine as long as we don't stay there. But anyway, that's kind of what the book is about.
1: I think of the many, and I certainly haven't read all, but of the many books that I have leafed through, looked at that are about grief, I have to say this one has immediately jumped to the top of my list.
2: Hmm. And I
1: certainly haven't covered it all. But lest our listeners just think, okay, so it's a question, and then it's an answer, and then it's an affirmation. It's not. The words that Gary uses have a very tender, compassionate tone. Yet at the same time, the questions have those words that we all have in our hearts and on our minds, those words that that really just make us want to sit there and cry. For example, I have to. I wasn't going to do this (laughs) till later, but I have to, for example. This is chapter 24. What happened to my focus and concentration? Mm. And it starts out, my thoughts are scattered. I get distracted so easily. I can't focus or concentrate like I used to. I'm worried and frightened about this. Is something wrong with me?
0: That's a great one.
1: It's great, but it's exactly how you might feel. Yeah. Simple words, nothing complex, but very, very real emotions. And the question, is something wrong with me? And I would imagine a lot of people have asked that. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with me? Why? Why do I cry so much? Why can't I get past this? And so, Gary, your answer for that question might include things like,
2: now I'm going to go to have to go to that. Doctor, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, if I said to you, "Is something wrong with me? I'm crying all the time."
2: <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, of course, part of the answer is going to be, in a very nice way, join the club. Exactly. I mean, we're we're all there, or we have been there, right. because we have this idea. That grief is simpler than it is. Um, it's very complex. It's also very simple. You do, you can deal with it very simply just by finding healthy ways to express it over time with other people and alone. And if we focus on that, a whole lot gets solved. Just just solved. Well, anyway, resolved. Uh, um, resolved by that. We we lit, we grow and we heal and we adjust through that. Right. We'll never be the same people again, and we're not supposed to be. But I really believe no matter what the loss, and if you're listening today, just hear me out, because for some of you, this is going to be impossible to imagine. But I really believe that no matter what the loss, every grieving heart can heal. We don't go back to who we were, but we can heal. We can adjust. We can recover. We can grow. And we can actually live with more meaning and purpose than ever before, part of that being figuring out ways to live a legacy that is honoring to our loved one and to live in a way that honors them. So having said all that, boy, I went down a rabbit trail there. Sorry about that.
1: <laughs> no, that's okay. That's you know, okay. I
2: I wish, you know, there's I wish I had a count of how many times someone has said to me something like I feel crazy. Am I crazy? I feel like early onset dementia because I can't remember anything. And we don't realize that grief just doesn't have emotional impact. It has mental impact. It 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 shrinks all of our abilities because grief is taking up more space now. So there's just not enough of us left. There's not enough of our brains left. There's not enough of our Body's left sometimes. And so there's illnesses or fatigue or exhaustion. And all of these things, as we all know, work together to produce this yeah. ball of, I am so not at my best right now. Right. And I am limited, therefore, in my ability to focus and concentrate, which can be scary, not just from a health standpoint, But if you've got a job that really demands intense focus and concentration and especially if perchance other people's livelihoods depend on your performance or other people's lives depend on your performance. And so just knowing, I mean, the first step in the battle is just knowing, okay, this is common in grief. Okay. Other people experience this too. A lot of other people. In fact, so many people experience it, it wound up as a question in this book.
1: I was just going to say that. you know, So many people have experienced it, that it's in your book. Mm -hmm. This is also a book that you don't have to think about, all right, I haven't finished it yet. You Mm -hmm. can set it aside, really, and not look at it for weeks. You can just, before going to bed at one night, you can open it and flip to chapter fifty four Why doesn't anyone talk about them? I'm frustrated and angry. No one mentions my loved one. No one even speaks their name. It's like they never even existed. Why doesn't anyone talk about them? and I know that many people don't talk about them because they think if they bring it up, it's going to make you feel sad. right They don't want to upset they think you. it has exactly. They yeah. think it's become almost a forbidden topic. Mm-hmm. But if they only realize that to have someone mention a name, I like to try to do it in a memory. Oh, mm-hmm. I remember this time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And at that mm-hmm. way you you get to mention the name, you honor that person, and you honor the relationship that existed between that person in your memory and the person who's there with you. And yeah. that is one of the best. You can just see their faces light up.
0: Yeah, and it it makes them smile. And it it could be a memory that maybe they haven't thought about in a long time. Or sometimes it might have been something that they didn't even realize happened. And they'll go, oh, you know, and it just brings a little bit of light back into their life.
1: Yeah, yep. So I try to do that Mm. with anybody I know that has suffered a loss. Oh, gosh, even years. Sometimes there's that Mm. lull in the conversation and you don't know what to say. Well, think of a memory. And bring it into the conversation, and you will have a smiling face, mm-hmm. maybe teary eyes, yeah. but a very happy smiling face.
2: Yes, what a great idea! Yeah, and 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 the power in a person's name is Absolutely. extraordinary.
1: Absolutely, it's,
2: it's just extraordinary. We have this idea that we can make people feel something, mm-hmm. and and I think. Sometimes we just need to realize that people who are grieving, the grief is inside them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's so it's looking for a way out right. <laughs> and we, we can best support other grieving people when we just walk with them in their stuff and just walk with them, do a lot of listening, maybe ask a few questions and just let the grief come out. Let them express it right. in, in a safe environment like that. That's that's just Huge. Absolutely. When when people tell me when somebody shares something with me online in an email and it's particularly it sounds particularly lonely. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, one of my responses back is inevitably, do you have anyone where you are that is trustworthy Mm -hmm. that you can share with freely without fear of judgment? We all need people like that. Do you have anybody like that? And it's just so sad to me when a person says, no, I don't. Right. No, I don't. And that could be for any number of any number of reasons. Sure. But until we have that in our lives, I mean, that's going to be huge in our recovery. Mm -hmm. A big part of the book, of course, is about our relationships because because loss changes us. Right. it automatically changes our relationships too right. we think other people are being weird well they are <laughs> they are they are but they think we're being weird right yeah because we're changing and they can they sense that and this is why I think if we if gosh if everybody sometimes I think we need a big grief awareness training and everybody on the planet is required to attend yep. <laughs> And they actually listened because people are so uncomfortable around emotions mm-hmm. and around somebody who's grieving right. that they will just do anything, will do anything to avoid pain, another person's pain, our pain, when mm-hmm. in reality that's when we need each other the most. Right.
1: Absolutely. To so just
2: walk through that together.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We have um, talked a few times in our podcast about how generations ago Mm
2: -hmm.
1: when someone in your family died, first of all, the the family themselves prepared the body for viewing. Mm -hmm. The body was Mm -hmm. set in a coffin in your parlor or somewhere in your house. Your house was draped with bunting and the color of the bunting would vary depending on whether it was a parent, a child, a sibling, a a grandparent or something like that. The bunting would be different colors. The family wore certain clothing or armbands for for most of the men, and they wore it for a period of time. So it was obvious to everyone in the community that this person or this family was grieving a loss. Well, I think, I think, my opinion only, with the advent of funeral directors and the practice being moving Mm. things to a funeral home, that there was, you know, the bunting disappeared and the traditional clothing finally disappeared and everything got centralized to the funeral home. So now we don't know when someone's grieving. It's I almost some days want to wear a T-shirt when I go to Walmart that says, I'm grieving, how about you? Mm-hmm. Um, or something like that, just to start a conversation that if you knew who was grieving, It would be so natural at times to reach out to them to just say, Oh, tell me, tell me about the person you lost, or whatever. And it might make conversation a little bit easier again. So we can't have
2: international
1: Mm. grief awareness training mandated. I mean, (laughs) we could we couldn't even get a virus mandated, a vaccination (laughs) mandated, right? But 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 and not to make light of it, but if there was only a way to know who was grieving,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I really think conversation might be a little easier, but instead it's been stuffed. It's Mm -hmm. been put in a closet or down in the basement or in the locker at the train station or somewhere. And it has become a topic that's very uncomfortable for so many people.
0: You know how you've seen those, you've seen those sayings where it says, you know, you don't know what someone else is going through. So be kind always. And I I think that holds true. I think there are so many people grieving, whether it be from losing a loved one or like we've talked about before, it could be a pet. It could be losing your dream job. It could be, you know, Mm -hmm. so many other things. I I think that it just goes back to that. Be kind always because you don't know what everybody has going on. And to be honest, everybody's got something going on. (laughs) <laughs> oh, sure. And I just and feel every- like everybody's has some sort of grief. Everybody has yeah. some sort of something happening in their life, you know? Right. So it it just needs to be a change in everybody's mindset, I think.
1: <laughs> right. And I go back to Dr. Bill Webster, who was one of our first guests. And he gave this very simple definition of grief. He said, grief is simply a normal reaction to an unwelcome event. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That's grief in its simplest form, whatever the event is, you know, and it's very, very true. But, and we've established also that grief is unique for everyone. It's like your fingerprint. No two people suffer identically and that grief could feasibly last for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I know I will grieve my husband for the rest of my life. It certainly has already changed shape and form. Mm -hmm. I've become a different person because Mm -hmm. of it this podcast is one of the results (laughs) I think from my grief and I love doing this podcast but it could last for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. but you learn to continue you kind of I called it redefining myself Mm -hmm. after his death I had to find out who I was again because pretty much during his illness I had given up everything I had I had given up all of my hobbies, I'd given up any extra time, any extracurricular activities, so to speak. I, I didn't read anymore. I never watched TV. I didn't do anything except take care of him. So I became his caretaker, period. And I lost my identity. So I had to re- redefine myself. And I'm still working on it. So I'm kind of growing up a second time in my life. But
0: <laughs> Oh, wait um, a minute. Only a it, second time?
1: <laughs> well, all right. All right. Well, we won't go through everything. but. I, I do have a, a whole wing <laughs> at the train station reserved with lockers, but, but oh, anyway, I think we all have
0: several in- instances where we have to kind of grow up again.
1: <laughs> we do, but again, so much so yeah. much depends on your attitude and the way you approach it, right? And the people you have in your camp, right? You know that can kind of help you that you can mm-hmm. that you can admit I'm having a really rotten day today. Right? Yes and they're just there and you know they're there yeah. for
2: you. Yeah. You know, I you mentioned the t-shirt, Kathy. Yeah. It's been months and well, actually it was pre-covid. I was in I was making my hospice chaplain rounds in one of the nursing homes. And there is a lady coming toward me and she has this shirt on and I I just it stopped me, just right in my tracks. It says, "I am not a widow. My husband just happens to live in heaven." Oh, I love that. And she saw me looking at the shirt, and she just broke out in this big smile, and I said, I love your shirt. (laughs) And she walked over and hugged me, and then she said, and the thing I like about it the best is it's true. Uh
1: Uh-huh, yep.
2: And we could say technically, well technically yes, she is a widow, but we all know what she meant by that.
1: Right. Absolutely.
2: And that is you don't stop being married no. when nope. that happens. No. And uh anyway, but I, she was I, that. I, I thought I loved it because she was letting people know. Right. right? Yes. in Absolutely. her own way. And she was sharing
1: yeah. about
2: her husband right. at the same time.
1: That's that's really nice. That good. Yeah, yeah, I, I like yeah. that. So, Gary, we've rambled a, lit, a little bit. It's all been on the topic of grief and healing and and everything. Your book just came out. And, I mean, I think mine I could still smell the ink on the pages, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I love. I love. But, you know, I, I strongly encourage people to uh, get a, grab a copy and just sit with it and let it resonate. It It's so, so good. You have something else coming down the pipe?
2: Oh, you're so funny. <laughs> I'm one, always
1: asking. One,
2: one, one last thing. I really wrote this, and you know this, Kat, just from looking. It's really a reference manual. Yes. In, in, in many ways. You can read it through, but we all know about grief. It comes, it got, well, it stays, but it does this. Right. And the frustrating thing is we deal with the same questions over and over and over Absolutely. and over. Right. Absolutely. So to not be shy about going right back to the same chapter and not saying, well, I read that already. Because I guarantee you, yeah. you will get something totally different. Oh, definitely,
0: definitely,
2: it just, it just happens.
0: Even a year, yeah, a yeah, year or two down the road. I mean, read it again, and you, you can probably even reflect on the difference in your life. Yes, you know, yes, at the time and be
2: encouraged, right? Yes, yes.
0: right, yeah,
2: yes. That wow, I'm I'm not as quite as much of a mess right now as I thought right. I was.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It it just it can't help but make you feel a little bit better. Well, for one thing, it starts you thinking, which generally will distract you from what was perseverating in your mind. Mm -hmm. It'll start you thinking in a different view, which is always a good thing when you're grieving to have something you can think about and and let it go through your mind. Mm -hmm. I really think anyone who facilitates a bereavement group should have a copy of this book Mm -hmm. and keep it handy. If during your group you hit one of those moments where nobody wants to talk about anything, you can open to a chapter, read it, read the question, and then have your group respond. It's a good way to bring things back to a state of interactivity in a group.
2: What a great idea! I wish I had had that in some of the group. Well, <laughs> but you
1: have it now. <laughs>
2: I have it now, don't I? Yeah, I have no more excuses.
1: Yeah, it's. And I can't say enough about the words in the book. I'm a writer also. So words are very important to me. And the tone of a book is extremely Mm -hmm. important to me. And you don't want a book that sounds like a college textbook. That's not going to help me heal at all. I want a book that is either going to give me goosebumps, bring a tear to my eye, Or make me feel something. And so far, every single page in this book that I have read has done just that. So, Gary, kudos on what Mm -hmm. I think. I think, and I haven't read all of them, but so far is your best book ever. Mm -hmm. And I truly, truly love this book and find it invaluable.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you. I, so, in answer to your question, is there anything else being worked on? Yes, there's please. always something being worked <laughs> yeah. on. Simply because there's always needs out there right. that, and, and I discover more all the time, right. and things I've never thought about. People write me and say, Would you please write something on? Yeah. And I honestly write back and say, I've never thought about that oh, before. Exactly. Because I really, anyway. There will be two more books coming out this year, if all goes right. well. Yeah. One of them is going to be my first workbook slash journal. Oh. Um, it is called Grieving the Right Way. Okay. W R I T E.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. And um, it's it kind of covers again. It's it's fairly comprehensive. It's got well anyway. That's enough for now. Uh, Thanks.
0: (laughs) Just a teaser, everyone.
2: (laughs) Just a teaser. (laughs) The the tough part about it was a balanced approach to the book that I felt would meet the needs of someone who's never journaled a page in their life, Mm. but also someone who is an experienced journaler Mm -hmm. that they Mm -hmm. could, they could dive into that and and get just as much or more out of it. I think Mm -hmm. than the person who's never journaled before. So, uh, look for that one, you know, later this summer, early fall. Okay. And then sometime around probably early November or October, I have a series of books. There's only two so far, the God in Grief series, mm-hmm. Grief Walk and Widowed Walk. Right. The next book is going to be for those who have lost a child.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: The subtitle will be Experiencing God After the Loss of a Child. Yeah. It'll be a devotional guide of about 150 readings. We don't know what the title's going to be yet because and this is frustrating for people who have lost a child. There's a name for almost everybody else. right? But there's now there's some names in other cultures. But if you just throw them out there, we English speakers don't have right. any idea what anybody's talking about. Yeah. So we're throwing around several different options for what this book is actually going to be titled
1: right? to let
2: people know clearly from the title what it's about. Excited about both these books and sad that I'm excited because I I just, at the same time, there's just such a need, you know, know? I just just wish it wasn't needed, but it is.
1: It definitely is. And as I said before, we even started the podcast today. You are welcome on our podcast anytime. I love it when you send us a quick note and tell us you've got a book releasing. Now you've mentioned the journaling one. So I know we've got an episode. He'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Listeners,
1: Gary will be back. Gary, is there anything else you want to tell our listeners before we wrap up?
2: Well, I know you hear stuff like this all the time, but I just want to say it today is that you are not alone, but you will feel like you are. You're not crazy, but you will feel like you are sometimes. And you will get through this, although there's times when you really wonder if that's even possible. So please be kind to yourself and patient with yourself and do your best to grieve in express your grief in healthy ways, and connect with some good, healthy people who know grief. That will go a long way.
1: Thank you, Gary. Those are great words. So again, the name of his book is The Grief Guidebook, Common Questions, Compassionate Answers, Practical Suggestions. His name is Gary Rowe. He's got lots of books out there. Any one of them is perfect for what you need to hear, and I encourage you to go look at your bookstore. And once you've read it, pass it on to someone else. You know who needs it. They may not know yet, but you know who needs it. So to our listeners, thanks for tuning in again. We love, love our podcast and bringing it to you and releasing a new episode every week. So until then, remember to take care of yourselves and we'll be with you as we all continue to live in grief. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover or do you have a question from one of our episodes? Please email us at info at asiliveandgrieve.com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.